every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Caddy Srinivasan. Caddy is the Senior Vice President and Global Head of Marketing at Clavio, a $9 billion marketing automation platform that gets valuable data out of e-commerce platforms. Caddy is a former engineer with over 20 years of experience leading marketing teams at Fortune 500 and high growth tech companies like Ubisoft and Electronic Arts. Prior to Clavio, she was part of the team that led the successful IPO at Dropbox. On this episode, Caddy shares how her engineering background helped launch her career in marketing, the marketing do's and don'ts of scaling a hyper growth company, and the intricacies behind generating a successful funnel. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Caddy Shernivasan, Senior Vice President and Global Head of Marketing at Clavio, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by special guest, Caddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Ian, how are you? I'm doing great as well. I'm super excited to have you on the show. Really excited to chat about all the cool stuff going on at Clavio, a company that is super hot in the news for all the cool stuff that you're doing. And I feel like I see something new every week. So we're going to get into all of that and more. But first, how did you get started in demand? It's been a long circuitous route for me personally. Um, so just uh, really uh, quickly to share my history with, with you guys. So I actually started as a software engineer. I did uh, software programming for a few years. And very quickly, I realized that I was not going to succeed as a software programmer. I was just, I did not, I was a, what one of my bosses said was I was a failed engineer. Quickly realized that I should try to do something different. So I went to business school and to be honest with you, in business school, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. It was more of an escape route for me. But I ended up taking up a lot, taking a lot of courses in supply chain and finance and accounting and all those kind of hard skills, thinking that those are, were going to be worthwhile. And the one discipline I really stayed away from was marketing, any form of marketing. Because for me, marketing was like, what is this fluff that I don't want to get to know? But after business school, I then thankfully happened to go into consulting and doing strategy work across a bunch of industries and across a bunch of uh, customers. And in doing that, I kind of fell in love with this idea of how do you drive market share? How do you look at growth from a company perspective? How do you, how do you look at product development and you know pricing and packaging and all that kind of stuff? And then I had the second epiphany that this was actually marketing and I loved it. Uh, and so then I started to kind of construct my career around marketing. And for me, the demand gen piece was a natural draw just because it comes from analytics and technology. And it was just much more of a easier way to get into demand gen. And that's how I kind of started on my career. I love it. The developer turned marketer, uh, the engineer turned marketer stories are always so fun. Uh, and it's it's so cool. So cool to hear uh, hear people fall in love with marketing like you have. Yeah, as uh, someone, uh, one of the 
I did an interview with Forbes and they called me a reluctant marketer, which I was. <laughs> and I think it's, uh, for me, marketing is just such a unique uh, space because you ask five different people what marketing is, you'll get five different answers. And that's indicative of how quickly the space is evolving and growing. So flash forward to Clavio. Again, like I said, a company that is seemingly just in the news uh, a ton right now. Uh, can you tell us what it means to be the head of marketing there and, and what, what all you are building? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very unique and humbling opportunity at the same time for me. Um, the reason I say that is we have a product that is uh, incredibly powerful. The, the platform itself is incredibly powerful. It has an incredible product market fit for um, the SMB kind of segment of customers within e-commerce. But for the longest time, the company didn't really have a professional marketing team. So the product kind of basically grew on its own. And um, so when I came in, uh, I looked at it and thought, wow, I mean, if the company can grow to this level without really having a lot of fuel added on from a marketing perspective, Let's see what we can do from when we really just turn the crank on marketing. And that's what we've been trying to set out to do is let's really clarify what our position or narrative is in the market. What is Clavio? Why should people think about Clavio? What's kind of the value proposition that we offer to them? And then let's start changing you know, the conversation about why Clavio and what we, the idea of own marketing, why that's important to people. And that's, that for me is both a unique opportunity in, in coming in, in here and even you know, creating a new category or helping create a new category and also changing the conversation. And I'll, I can get into that a little bit more uh, in terms of what I mean by that. Yeah, let's, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not? This is where we go to feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest demand gen secrets. <laughs> so who are your customers? Who are the people that, uh, that Clavio serves? So we serve a lot of different sizes of customers. Our primary focus today is e-commerce. So we basically are a product that any e-commerce merchant of any size can use. So we serve the micro SMBs all the way from micro SMBs to all the way to enterprise clients. So think of, you know, the, if you had a small business selling guitars online, we sell to you as well as we sell, we, uh, some of our clients include companies like Staples, which have billions of dollars of revenue. And let's get into your demand gen strategy, your marketing strategy. How do you think about marketing, Clavio? The way that I think about marketing is let's figure out what the outcome needs to be for what we want to achieve through marketing. And for me, there are five specific outcomes that we want to drive. One is we really want to build our brand, a Clavio brand, and ensure that it's something that people think of when they think about email marketing automation platforms. We want to be the first and only email marketing platform that any merchant uses. Second, I want us to become thought leaders in the e-commerce space. E-commerce merchants have a lot to do they are typically you know, doing a bunch of things. They're trying to do three jobs at one time. What I want us to do is help them with a lot of education, thought leadership, expertise to help them on their journey. So it's not just about the software and the platform, it's about helping guide 
our uh, e-commerce merchants. The third one is I want us to really help drive the community aspect of what we are seeing from our fans within Clavio. Um, and so there's the, those three uh, are kind of the critical set of almost five different things that we have. And so when you think about demand gen, everything that we do from a demand gen perspective supports these three kind of pillars of saying, we want to help build a brand. We want to help be the thought leaders and experts. And then we want to be, help drive a community of fans. And demand gen is basically helping support all of those three pillars. How do you organize your team uh, to do that? So today, my team is, uh, we have uh, this construct of functional leads. So we have a few pillars, such as brand and comms, um, performance marketing, which is basically demand gen. We have product marketing. We have um, self-serve growth. And we have analytics and ops. So we have those pillars and then within those pillars, we have people who are dedicated to specific business lines. So we have a specific email business line, we have SMS and so on. And so when you think about going after your customers and, and you're, uh, and you're you know, working with your teams to do that, what does that buying committee look like? You know, obviously, clearly for the micro SMB, it's the single business owner, but for those larger accounts, it's much bigger. Who goes into that e-commerce buying decision? So on the lower end of the market, uh, or the smaller end of the market, I should say, these are mostly people who are started a business on their own, they're single proprietors, or uh, they've you know, hired a couple of folks to help them out with their business. So it's generally either one person or maximum two people who are involved in the buying process. As you kind of go higher, our primary customer becomes the either the digital marketing manager or the di digital marketing director or the lifecycle marketing director, depending on you know, how big that team is. And so those folks, those personas become the actual kind of buyers. And then, but then you have to start layering on budget approval through a CMO or other kind of folks. So the spectrum of the people who touch our sales process increases as we go higher up into bigger companies. And do you have folks, you know, on your demand team specifically working those type of uh, accounts and thinking out, uh, about how to get in front of, of those folks? Or do you kind of, or is it, you know, do you segment your teams kind of based off of the size company? I'll answer your question in two different ways. One is we do have folks on our demand gen team who are actively thinking about both the smaller end of the market as well as the upper end of the market and changing the tactics of how we target and nurture those customers. So for instance, on the lower end of the market, a lot of what we do is around supporting the mass market tactics in terms of going on Instagram or places like that. Whereas on the upper end of the market, we do do a lot of ABM events to specifically target customers at the bigger companies. The way I think about marketing segmentation though is I really th believe in this idea of attitudinal segments, meaning the beliefs that people hold about things like technology or things that they want, uh, things about growth and things like that, which for marketers becomes even more important than just a straight up revenue cut of the segmentation. And the reason I say that is you can be a person who is in a small company or in a big company and share the same attitudes. And from a marketer's perspective, we want to talk to you based on your attitudes rather than based on what size of the business you're running. So 
we have um, teams, I have teams within my, uh, my larger team who are, who are thinking actively about this is the set of customers who have a similar attitude towards growth and towards technology and so on. So how do we construct the right customer experience for them with the right content to uh, basically progress them through the funnel? Let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three uncuttable budget items? The first one is, I'd say, in general, most of the work that we are doing around paid acquisition and performance acquisition is definitely uncuttable just because it is... uh, such a good way to raise our awareness and get people into the funnel. The second is all of the brand efforts we are doing to help drive awareness and all of the investment that we are putting behind creating the right brand awareness campaigns or creating the right kind of um, PR campaigns. That would be the second one. And the third one is the investment we are putting towards shoring up our like bottom of the funnel stuff, meaning Ensuring that our lifecycle marketing is in place, ensuring that our segmentation is in place, we are you know, nurturing customers in the right way. All, all of those things, I call them an investment because there's no money involved. It's more of uh, people and headcount and resources. So if you kind of think about those three buckets, brand, performance, media, and then lifecycle, those are the sort of the three big buckets of things that I would never want to cut but the order is actually flipped. The first thing I want to focus on is the life cycle, followed by performance, followed by brand. That's so interesting. Um, and, and, and that distinction, is that just because, you know, life cycle is more important to the types of customers that you have? Or do you think that that would be general across any company that, that should focus that way? Like, is that kind of your philosophy or is that, or is that just specific to, to what you're doing at Clavio now? I want to say that, you know, spending 20 years in marketing, I feel like I've drunk the Kool-Aid a lot about <laughs> why, why you should always start with uh, setting up your acquisition funnel, right? Like, I'm sure you talk to a bunch of people. It's, that's the first thing all of us as marketers gravitate towards. You go set up a new team, go do something. The first thing you think is, how am, what is my Google ad looking like? Or what's my Facebook ad looking like? Mm-hmm. And we kind of fall into this trap of thinking of that as, as the, the best thing to do because it's the easiest thing to do. You just throw some ads out there, put a budget towards it. Most of it is super expensive. Most of it will continue to be super expensive. But we don't really care because we are like, oh my gosh, if I don't do that, then I'm never going to grow. I ran e-commerce at a company called Outlet last year. And this is where I had the big epiphany was it really doesn't matter if I don't set up my top of the funnel stuff, if I don't get my bottom of the funnel right. Because all I'm doing is bringing people in that just kind of bleed through. And so I'm just wasting all of this money because I'm not capturing those people who are at the bottom of the funnel. And those are the high interest, high quality people. And so the first things that we started to do was let's set up an abandoned cart series. Let's set up a segmented retargeting series for those people who come to the website. And you won't believe how successful those things were because we were focusing on getting people back who had already shown us interest and who were in the funnel. So now I've become like a massive proponent of 
get your bottom of the funnel right, build those tactics first so that you don't have a leaky bucket. Then you can go do whatever you want on the top of the funnel stuff. And thankfully, Clavio, the platform is exactly the, the same philosophy, right? Like that's where our customers also see a lot of um, value and ROI because they, they get that right. And as you know, just like that, our customers see 100x ROI. I would never have dreamed of seeing 100x ROI in anything that I did. That's incredible. Well, but but it it speaks to the exact kind of marketing mindset that we all have, which is like, okay, let's start running the campaigns. Let's take some plays that I'm used to running. Let's figure out how we're doing that and let's get to work. But like you said, you know, if, if you have 100 people on your website today, you know, what are those people doing there? What are they consuming on your site? Uh, how are how are they behaving? Are they looking at your customer case studies? Are they looking at you know all of those things that are that are those buying activities? Why send another thousand people if the hundred people that you have there are already there and you're not doing enough with them to begin with? Right, that's exactly it. And you brought up a really good point about uh, the customer research part to the customer insights. Right, uh, frequently the trap I've fallen into is just jam the funnel with as many people as possible without taking the time to think about, but why is this happening? So we did a hot jar analysis uh, in one of the companies I was at. Oh, yeah. And we clearly saw, you know, that people were, um, the places they clicked on was the carousel, which had a bunch of uh, things in it. And they were not clicking on the sign up, or sorry, the, the purchase button. And so we said, okay, instead of like just going and jamming the funnel with more people, why don't we add more images to the carousel because that's clearly is an area of high interest. And as soon as we did that, the number of people who clicked on the carousel and clicked on the purchase now button went through the roof. We saw a 3x improvement. So it just kind of goes to your earlier statement about it is so important to pause and say why. Why are customers behaving a certain way? And then what can we do to plug that? And how, what experiments can we run? Well, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because I'm in the middle of doing a bunch of this stuff right now. And so it's very top of mind. I'm getting literally that exact thing that you were just saying. I've I have I was working on this morning uh, of of people in the in the carousel, of getting more more people in the carousel. And I think we get so caught up in having things, at least I do. So maybe I'm projecting, but we get so caught up in having things perfect and right. And like, well, I if I'm gonna do a customer case study, I wanna have it to be a 15 page white paper that has all this amazing stuff and all these nuggets and all this insight and all these stats and all this amazing stuff. Whereas like, if you just had something there, if you just have, you know, the highlights of that thing with a button below it, that give them a little bit more insight than just the quote and have a button uh, to learn more information, you potentially could, could, could get that value right away. Yeah, I agree. I, Ian, I think the, the trick is to figure out which of those things need a lot of calories and which of those things are things that you can just kind of throw something out there, learn from it, experiment, improve, and then move on. So like you said, the case study is probably a great example or small ads are great examples of let's just get something out there, see how people respond and then experiment and improve. Whereas if you were to bring build a, an explainer video of, about your company, that one you might want to take a little bit of time to really think through what you're saying and what you're doing, because that comes with a big investment behind it. So it, the, the trick is figuring out what are the, the lightweight ways to test some things and what are the things that are slower, longer burn, the thing require 
much more calories invested. You know, I'm, but I'm, I'm glad you brought up Hotjar. And um, for those of our listeners who don't know, it's a heat mapping software website, heat mapping software, and a bunch of other stuff. But because I think it's such a great point that it's like, okay, so we know that we need to spend the calories in the right place. We know the testimonial video is going to be really important. And we have, you know, the endless list of things that we need to work on. So then how do you prioritize? Well, if you have these carousel images and everyone, you know, whatever, seven out of 10 people keep clicking on the case study that you have for, you know, whatever, Anheuser-Busch or something, uh, or ABM, ABM Bev, um, build out that case study, build, build that one out with a bunch more information and then put that one first and switch the order up and see, you know, maybe that one was just getting more love because it was first or whatever it is. But I think that to be analytical and to think about where to put your money and where to put that stuff is, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be that cookie cutter approach of like, okay, well, I'm going to put a thousand words into each four of these case studies, you know, use the information that the website is giving you. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I like to think about it as uh, the first thing I do any place I go is I map out the funnel or at least the big, the big metrics that indicate my funnel, whatever that funnel looks like. And then it's a matter of looking at those parts of the funnel and saying, what are the choke points here? For me, one of the choke points in a previous company was the, the number of people who went from the homepage to the product detail page and then who hit the buy button or put, add it to cart. Between the product detail page and the cart, the, the huge amount of drop-off, 80% people dropped off. And you would think that's shocking. Like the people who have gone to a product detail page to see what's your product is, somehow they're not getting convinced <laughs> that, yeah. that they want to buy this product. So gosh, we really have to fix that ASAP. So a lot of our energy went into fixing that problem. And sure enough, like um, the, we changed the value proposition, the messaging. On the cart page, we again added in a value proposition saying, this is why you want to buy this. And this is the benefit. And this is the you know reason to believe and that kind of stuff. And that just reversed the trend. Like we started to see only 50% drop off and then later 20%. And now and then at one point it stabilized at about 15, 20% drop off. So now then we had the confidence to go start addressing the other parts of the funnel where there were similar choke points. You mentioned uh, something that was music to my ears. I heard a thousand X increase. And I know uh, I'd love to learn more about how you help your customers achieve things like that because that is, uh, those are big numbers. <laughs> Yeah, no, 100x ROI. Um, so uh, our customers, on average, uh, they put in a dollar in the Clavio platform and they get back $100, <laughs> which is insane Un- to me. Insane. And I think it's the reason why that's happening is with our platform, many of our customers are able to really segment their customers based on specific criteria. And they can do it in a relatively easy and quick way so that once you start segmenting customers and then imagine like I send Ian a specific email saying, hey, Ian, the shorts that you were looking at last month is now back in stock. And oh, by the way, you can take 50% of your loyalty points and apply it to this for you to go get this. Imagine how powerful that is from a personalization perspective, if I can do that. And then I can do it at scale with a thousand other customers like that. So all of a sudden, you're extremely personalized. You're driving that at scale. And yes, you're sure to see revenues coming back. And it's profit at the end of the day because you don't spend a lot of money with the Clavio platform, but what you're getting out of it is real cash money. So that's how a lot of our customers see that kind of ROI. 
Yeah, that's amazing. You know, you mentioned you have, you have folks of all sizes on there. How complex are the different kind of use cases that you see those type of returns? Because again, put in a dollar and get back 100 is crazy for someone small. And for someone big, that's a really, really big number. Yeah, well, it's um, it's not a very complex use case in that we uh, the the 100x ROI is not dependent on how many people you integrate with or other things like that. It's a f- our platform is a fairly straightforward, uh, simple platform. The people who are seeing those kind of crazy returns are the ones who are in there looking at how to segment their customers in a very smart manner and then being able to action on those segments. So that's basically it, and it's not a it's not a heavy lift. It's uh, it's not something that people won't be able to do. Now, would every customer or every size be able to see that same return? I don't think so. I think there's uh, you know lots of variances in terms of what people will be able to do with the se- the contact list that they have. But what I want to say though is, a lot of the a lot of our customers who have emailable contacts and who are interested in making in building those personalized communications have absolute flexibility in a, being able to do that and they are able to help drive big massive returns for themselves are there any budget items that you've invested in in the past couple of years that are your most uncuttable your a budget item that you're like eh, i don't know if we're going to spend money on that this year outside of clavio um i was it's it's interesting like I did a lot of work with Instagram influencers at one point where basically, you know, you're paying a million bucks to an Instagram influencer for one post and, uh, uh, you know, two retweets or something like that, not tweets, sorry, two, uh, two mentions or something like that. And to be honest, I don't know that I saw a lot of value in that. I think it's uh, paid influencer programs to me didn't work as well as a, an influencer picking your your product up organically and then just talking about it and obviously that's so much harder to do but it's uh, it doesn't paying your way through influencers I, for me in the past especially on Instagram for a certain specific product type didn't work as well interesting that's super fascinating because I've I've heard just I mean it's so complex that I've heard so many mixed things about influencer promotions and things like that all over the place. Some people who, you know, return the whole ROI on the first post. Other people are like, I just dumped in a bunch of money and we just had no idea kind of what happened at the end of it. Yeah, I think that, I think what we found was that there has to be a really strong connection between the product and the that influencer's base of customers. And so where the, the places where we didn't have that strong link was the places where we did not succeed at all. So that could be one factor that's playing into this, you know, successes or losses that you've heard. I love that. That's great. We talked to a bunch of website stuff. Uh, how do you view your website? You know, like everybody else, the, for me, the website is, the, is a super important touch point for customers in their customer journey. A lot of the work that we do is trying to bring peak people's interest enough so that they come to the website and when they are on the website, show them what Clavio is and what Clavio can do and create a sense of that, the FOMO and the urgency. And so this website to me serves a lot of different purposes. One, it helps educate people on the, the problem that Clavio is trying to solve. It helps educate people on the problem itself, on Clavio itself. And then the third one is provides education 
an expertise on things that they may not uh, know about generally outside of Clavio. So for me, it uh, kind of serves those three purposes. So it's a super important touch point in the customer journey. And we've seen that over and over again. We have a vast quantity of our referral traffic that comes through the website. They convert really well. We've got SEO ranking is you know slowly going up. So there's a bunch of organic and direct traffic that's coming to the website. Um, so it's a very important touch point for us in our customer journey. Okay, let's get to our next segment, the dust up. Uh-oh, here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had any famous dust-ups in your career? Yes, quite a few, actually. Not at Clavio, but before this, as a head of marketing, you almost always have like a couple of different bosses, if you will. And there's the CEO and the executive staff, and then there's the board. And a lot of the time, they're not on the same page in terms of the kinds of objectives that they want from marketing, particularly with marketing being such a multifaceted sort of a discipline, what the board wants may not exactly be what the company and the CEO needs or what we need to do from a competitive perspective. So I have had those kind of incidents. Um, I think one of the one thing that I remember distinctly was we wanted to go build brand awareness for a certain segment of the market, uh, which we defined as young mothers. The board wanted us to be more of a household name, which meant everybody, young mothers, older women, younger men, older men. So we had to, I had to take a decision and say, no, we are going to focus on young women that, that, or young mothers. That is our sweet ICP or sweet spot. I am sure that didn't land really well with everyone, but thankfully over time, those results got proved. But that is a, an example. I want to pivot a little bit toward, you know, the company in general right now, as I mentioned, you know, super popular, you all are hiring. What's it kind of like being on this, on, on this journey and, uh, and having some of the success that you all have had and, and, you know, building the team up bigger and bigger every day. And, and, and what's it look like being on the marketing team at Clavio? I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a rocket ship. I think there's tons of stuff happening. Uh, it's so much growing and learning. I think if you're, if you're interested in building and uh, you know um, being part of an environment where there is just so much opportunity, so much innovation happening, this is a place to be. It's uh, uh, super exciting, super exciting to be part of a bigger company which has an amazing culture where we, uh, you know there's a defined vision from the founder on down below. Uh, that we have lots of resources. We are clearly the market leaders. It's just a great place to be. So if you're thinking about jumping ship, we are hiring big time. I love it. And we'll link up in the in the show notes uh, to uh, Tirol's page and, and to some of those positions. So any, any other secrets of uh, kind of building the rocket ship here? You know, I think the, the big thing is people who are in marketing these days, their job is hard, right? Like I think 10 years ago, it used to be around maybe 20 years ago, it used to be a lot around demand gen and looking at pipeline and looking at the top of the funnel and being responsible for pretty much top of the funnel metrics. Now, 
I think the conversation has turned to how much revenue are you going to drive for the company? And it's uh, so in in owning a revenue business is not always that easy. So uh, marketers are wearing different hats. Like on the one hand, they're looking at revenue. On the other hand, they're thinking about how to build a brand. On the third, they're thinking about how to work with the sales team and the product team to help drive the business forward. So in terms of building the rocket ship, I think it's comes a lot down to having the right people in the right places um, and building the right processes so that this can become a uh, an ongoing, consistent, scalable motion. You, previous to this, ha- had some cool stops along the way at some companies that we all know and love, like Electronic Arts and and, and Ubisoft. Uh, you know, how different was marketing for those for those companies? What what was marketing like there? And and uh, any good stories? Yeah, I loved working at Electronic Arts or any of the gaming companies, Ubisoft also. Just because the the level of passion that people have in those companies is very different. Like you would walk into an office and you would see a guy sitting on the couch, hand, his feet up on the sofa, playing a game. You would be testing a game. <laughs> and it's just like the, it's just such a cool, cool culture. And Andrew Wilson, who's the CEO of EA, is just such an amazing individual. He's just created this amazing company. So marketing-wise, marketing at EA was a very well-oiled machine. The way that we took products to market, the kind of investment we put around it, the way we marketed and told the story was just fantastic. One thing I I remember was we were building... uh, a VR game for Star Wars back when VR was a big deal. So I remember putting on this VR headset and being in a TIE fighter. And the interesting thing was because nobody had thought about what the inside of a TIE fighter should look like, we were actually there helping like create the buttons and the things that would go inside inside of uh, the TIE fighter. So that just was a fantastic and cool experience. That's so right. I bet you the uh, the engineer in you from many years ago did not think that you'd probably be that marketing allows you to get towards uh, building the inside of a Tie Fighter. Oh my gosh! Yes, absolutely, you're hundred percent right. <laughs> okay, let's go to our final segment: quick hits. These questions are quick and easy, just like how quickly you can talk to somebody on your website. With Qualified, go to qualified.com to learn more. Qualified, they're our best friends. We love Qualified. Go check them out, qualified.com. Qualified prospects are on your website right now and talk to them quickly with qualified.com. Quick and easy, just like these questions. Caddy, are you ready? Yes, (laughs) let's do it. Number one, what do you do for fun? So I am a closet Bollywood dancer. Um, I used to do that before I had my son and I love, love, love dancing. I wish... I could dedicate all my time to it, but that's my fun space. Do you have a favorite book or, or podcast or TV show that you've been checking out recently? So the the book, um, I recently read a book called The Art of the Impossible, which is fantastic. Check it out if you haven't done so. It's uh, the whole idea of how people achieve impossible is not because of their unique personality, but it's because of biology. And it's a very interesting concept. Interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. Um, if you could interview one person in history to be on your podcast, what would it be? Oh, President Obama. I would love, or, or President Obama and Michelle Obama. I would love 
to interview both of them just to kind of get a sense of how they what what were all the decisions they took on a day-to-day basis in terms of the things that they achieved what's your best advice for a first time head of marketing first time head of marketing that's such a great question i'd say the i i would say the i have so many i have so many pieces of advice one i think be confident because there's so many people who are going to make you want to second guess your intuition about things that you have to do but just stay strong like strong and focus on what you think is right second um managing different stakeholders becomes a little bit of a a deal when you are being a first time cmo you have to manage the board you have to manage the executive team you have to manage the ceo um don't underestimate how many calories are going to be needed to do that and then the third one is don't underestimate how much effort you're going to have to put to bring the team together as you're starting up all of these different functions within marketing and making sure that they're all coming together. Do you have a favorite uh, campaign that you've worked on in the in the last six months at Clavio? Yes, I think um, the data privacy campaign that we launched back in July is probably one of my f- most favorite in, in a long time. And if you haven't checked it out, check it out. It's a short two-minute video about what we believe our, our point of view is on privacy and how we are trying to educate the market on all the privacy changes that are coming up and what companies should be or marketers should be aware of. And it's just a really cool, fun campaign. I'm super proud of my team for pulling that off. Is there one thing that you would recommend for, for someone who is a marketer in in kind of this like hyper growth phase, you know, I know growing companies, building a marketing team and, and hiring a bunch of people and all that stuff is, is really tough. So anything that, uh, that you feel like would be great for someone who's in that scale mode? You know, I think the advice that I'm trying to give to myself all the time is when you're in a growth mode, you are just constantly chasing things. You're, there's a thousand things to do. You, there's so many thing areas that you can, invest time and energy in. I think it's at that time when you have the luxury of doing so many things is when you have to really pause and say, what is really the most important thing to do here? So that's the advice I'd give for someone who's in a hyper growth environment to really pause and think two steps ahead and say, is this really something that's necessary? Am I doing it because I I'm trying to drive an outcome or is it because I can do it? There's a difference between wanting to do something versus being able to do something. I love it. Caddy, this has been awesome having you on the show. Seriously, just great conversation. So excited to uh, to watch the uh, continued growth of the mega unicorn uh, that you all are. And uh, and any final uh, final thoughts here? Uh, any Anything to plug? Thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. I thank you for having me on this uh, show and I really enjoyed it as well. Awesome. Take care. Cool. Thank you, Ian. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.